I'm so excited to be here with you, and we have a good chunk of scripture to get through this morning, so let's get started. Um, I invite you, if you have your Bible, if you have the Bible app on your phone, um, to turn to Matthew 5. We're going to start in verse 27. You have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Skipping over to chapter 7. Which of you, if your son asks for bread... I love, I just heard a Bible turn, will give you a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have, done, have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for the sheer freedom we have to come together this morning to worship you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to accept what you have for us this morning. Amen. In 2018, a tourism organization in Southern California conducted a study of over 2,000 parents with school-aged children in order to better understand why families were not taking more vacations together. The organization's interest was, and still is, to get people like you and me to come to their area of the country and spend money. Although the study was spearheaded by one simple question, how much money will it take to pluck these busy families away from their hectic lives and come vacation with us, the results, in my opinion, gave the most interesting and humbling stat. Do you want to know what it was? Families, on average, spend a mere 37 minutes together a day. 37 minutes. 37 minutes is roughly the amount of time you and I spend driving to work and back here in Mobile. It's also less than the average Netflix show we watch at the end of the day. You may or may not have already spent 37 minutes on Instagram this morning. The point is, it's easy to blow through 37 minutes, yet this study made it scientific fact that this is all we have with our families during the wild matrix that is the Monday through Friday schedule. I love how one recent Atlantic reporter said it, our lives are stretched like a rubber band about to snap. And in today's message to us, Jesus is all too aware that even the strongest bonds of family can break if we do not give them the holy attention they require. During the Sermon on the Mount series, we've addressed the common worries Jesus lays out in his most famous dissertation on the hill as told by the Apostle Matthew. We've covered fashion, finance, future, and today we're talking all about family. 
In today's scripture, Jesus is quoting from the book of Exodus, where we find the Ten Commandments, and Deuteronomy, where we find Moses' teachings at length. He's sitting on a mountain, quoting Moses, and then he deepens the teachings of Moses. He's pulling back the curtain to show us the heart of God behind such commandments like, you shall not commit adultery. His teachings on adultery and divorce are in the middle of several, you've heard that, but I tell you, reversal statements. I imagine if Jesus was sitting here giving us the same teaching today, any one of us in a semi-healthy marriage might assume we could easily check this rule off our Ten Commandments things not to do list. And then Jesus would, of course, say something like, not so fast. Let me tell you what it really means. In verse 28, he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus takes the commandment to not act even further by saying you cannot even look a certain way at someone you're not married to. To do so is adultery of the heart. So it begs the question, are organic, I didn't even have time to stop myself, flashes of desire wrong? If you've ever experienced a momentary flash of desire, which I'm guessing based on the fact that you're human and you're here today and you're walking around, you have, then a normal reaction for most of us is to worry that we've already made a mistake. We wonder, why would I look? I'm happily married. Did I just sin without even thinking about it? Temptation in itself is not sin. Giving in to temptation is sin. Jesus is not talking about the appreciation for beauty in this world, which of course includes people that are made in his image. Desire is a good thing given by a good God. Jesus is not talking about momentary flashes of desire we see when someone's walking down the street or standing in front of us in line. Remember, temptation and sin are two different things. Jesus is talking about our intent. He's not talking about the first look, something we can't help. He's talking about the second look, the third look, the fourth look. He's talking about intentionally letting the text thread go too far. He's talking about intentionally fantasizing about a better spouse. He's talking about cultivating lust in our hearts with a desire to see them through, letting desire take root until an opportunity opens up for us to act. Jesus teaches us to reorder those desires, not suppress them, which leads us to the obvious. We are surrounded by shows, books, and general cultural attitudes that normalize at best and encourage at worst giving in to these types of temptations. We as followers of Jesus have a responsibility to not support and encourage explicit images that normalize lustful desires. Uh, rented the It Ends With Us book from the library this summer. You know, Colleen Hoover, if you're familiar with her, she's had a big year. And after I got through that book, I had to stop and ask myself, because words have power, what did these words do to my mind? What did they do to my body? That could eventually make its way to my heart. The fight for the health of our heart in a world that boasts pleasure and happiness as fast and instant is a daily battle that often goes unnoticed in a hectic world. A hardened heart or a posture away from God comes not from an instant and big moral failure, although that's certainly possible, but more commonly from a silent, 
slow and slippery slope of chasing small temptations. Keeping a sincere desire for God demands great intention with our eyes, our minds, our bodies, and all of it begins with our hearts. People do not wake up one day and decide to have an affair. People also do not wake up as peaceful, just Holy Spirit-led adults and say, hey, today's a really good day to blow up at my children. The hardening or softening of our hearts begins well before any action is played out. Lustful desires begin with a second look with our eyes and then make it way to our head where we imagine what could possibly play out. Then it makes its way to our heart. When fully planted there, it makes its way to the rest of us. Likewise, our anxieties and worries over our life and our children's lives slowly leak all over them until they are also worried and can't stop their anxious thought loops. It's a slippery slope of letting stress and worry take root, which often leads straight to blow-ups. So Jesus's point in these reversal statements of you have heard that, but I tell you is for us to know that living in his kingdom here and now isn't about behavior modification, although that's certainly part of it. It's an issue of our heart. When we worry if we're doing the right thing, the deeper question at hand is not what have we done or can do, it's what would I do if I could? That is the condition of our hearts. It's the inner life Jesus is concerned about. Not whatever outward rules or actions we think we're following or if we look like we're doing the right thing to others. Jesus cares about the deep secret place. Our spouse doesn't see it. Our best friend doesn't see it. Our pastor doesn't see it. The software on our computer doesn't see it. It's just you and God. We've got to talk about now the gouging out and cutting off of body parts in this lovely chunk of scripture. Eyes and hands, yes, all parts that when gone would render you unable to give into temptations. Remember, Jesus is deepening the meaning of the Ten Commandments here. He's saying that if you truly believe that following the rules will get you into heaven, then why not go ahead and cut off all the things that could cause you to stumble? Why not? Because as Dallas Willard puts it, and I'm paraphrasing here, you could cut off everything that caused you to sin and roll into heaven a bloody stump, but you would still have a wicked heart. In other words, you are still you. Eliminating body parts will not change that. Okay, is everybody okay? You want to take a breath? Yeah, okay. That's a lot. First time, okay. From here, we flow from adultery straight into divorce because they're obviously connected. Jesus says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So for a little bit of context here, Jesus is quoting, in my opinion, one of the longest sentences in scripture for the sake of time. You can go back and read it yourself. Bible flipper over here somewhere. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse one. And Jesus is doing a couple things here. He does make it very clear that divorce was never God's intent for marriage. He does not say it's never permissible. And he's commenting on why Moses would ever allow for a certificate of divorce in the first place. It's no accident that Jesus' teachings on this right after dealing with anger, 
contempt, and obsessive desire. These are all parts of us that when they take root in our heart, end up breaking things around us, especially family bonds. Within these topics, he's addressing head on the meanness and mistreatment of others in a world that isn't close to shocked over affairs and treats marriage as a, a contract that can easily be torn up. I recently read this headline that said, Gwyneth Paltrow is proud of making divorces easier and even happier, happier with popularizing the term conscious uncoupling. Do y'all remember that? Um, this is all just, it's just funny that it's coming from a mother who also named her son Moses. What we do understand in our Western culture is easy divorce, which is also what Jesus was living in when he walked this earth. But he's pushing back the cruelty and nastiness of leaving someone behind and in a dangerous situation. In his culture, if you divorced a woman, they would have to remarry again, making them an adulteress or become a prostitute simply to eat. He's pushing a back against hard hearts. So let's take a turn and talk about what makes our hearts really soft. The worry and anxiety we have over our children. We worry over what percentage they are on the growth chart, if they're lagging in their fine motor skills, all the pressure they face at school, academically, athletically, artistically, the pressure to be the best friend, the student part and play member of the team, the pressure to have the right things and be at the right school so they can get to the right college and maybe we can finally just breathe. We keep our fingers crossed this whole time that they act just a little bit like Jesus to their friends and to their teachers while they're living this high pressure life. And as our worries grow and grow, it feels like a rubber band that's getting tighter and tighter on the verge of snapping. And in this insanely hectic culture that we and our children live in, our anxiety and worry overrides our patience. There's a reason you get triggered and angry more than you wish you did. There's a reason we wonder sometimes why we're not the parent we thought we would be or so desperately want to be. The rubber band is ready to snap. As parents, we worry so much because we love so deeply and the loving so deeply is a sign of a kingdom heart. Be sure it's definitely not a hard one. But the ache you feel for your kids to never worry or experience hurt, to be accepted, to be confident in who they are, to have joy and thrive on this side of eternity, all of that is just a taste of how God feels about you. That's why Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? About eight or nine years ago, I prayed fervently two different prayers for two different family members. The first was for my dad. I prayed through desperation and tears for months, if not years, for my father to be healed. Wayne and I had just had our first child, Virginia, and I was constantly worried that if something didn't change with his health, he would never know his grandchildren and they would not know him. I remember getting the call that left me crouched over in tears, too weak to sit up straight, as it felt like the air had too left my lungs when my mother called to tell me my father had died after months of petitioning to God for the opposite. It was sometime in there that I also had prayed hard and consistently that Jesus would consume my marriage. I wanted all of it to be about him. I didn't know what that would look like, what that really meant, or really honestly what I was even asking for. But I knew in my most inner being that God was good 
And I wanted one of the most important parts of my life, my family, to be about his goodness. Uh, To tell you the truth, I didn't pray that long before I saw this prayer answered. I watched my husband get on fire for Jesus, looking back at it. It seemed like a snap of the fingers, really. This answered prayer has been one of the biggest joys of my life. Um, Wayne does grow out a beard from time to time now, but I still count it all as joy. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus tells us to ask our good father for good gifts, and he's not naive to the complexities of any of this. He knew that his own disciples prayed and didn't get what they want. More importantly, Jesus himself prayed and didn't get what he wanted when he said, take this cup from me. Still, Jesus calls us to trust him when he says God knows, God cares, and God wants us to ask. So on the line of temptations, I think there's two of them that keep us from asking God for good gifts, especially when it comes to our families. The first is to figure out our schedules, relationships, and life for ourselves and to make things happen by our own power. But we all know that nothing breaks down the disillusionment of our own self-sufficiency faster than trying to, through control and agency, fix family relationships we're worried about. We need God. And the second is to think God is distant and uncaring. We wonder how can God care about so many worries like, the faint but real and consistent longing I have to connect with my husband over anything deeper than our family schedules over the next 24 hours. Are we spending enough quality time together to even constitute as a healthy marriage? Are we spending enough quality time one-on-one with our kids so they feel loved and seen? Will they turn out to be good people? When they go off to college, will any of this have taken root? We worry that they are walking through life worried. God is a father, a good parent, And as much as you and I worry and stress over if we're actually good enough to and for our kids, how much better will God be to us than we can be to our own children? God is both better than us and altogether good, and he loves our kids more than we do. Knowing God's love, knowing God's goodness, and learning to embrace those attributes of God should prompt us to pray more. Every day we see and experience parents blessing their children over and over again. It's time to trust that God also wants to bless you with his goodness. All you have to do is ask. Prayer is the first step to a softer heart. We may come to God with a hectic life that feels like a rubber band stretched so far past its limits that it's bound to break with one more stressor. As followers of Jesus, our job is to bring those worries to God with each encounter, with each surrender, through God's good guidance in our lives, we will begin to feel that stretched rubber band retract into something softer, more adaptive, better able to handle life's inevitable pressures, but without breaking. What's the reversal of a hardened heart? It's loving one another in such a way that it breaks down walls and leads us to becoming better people, dare I say it, more like Jesus. Listening with great intention to the loved ones around us with our eyes, minds, bodies, and of course our hearts sounds like a really great way to spend those 37 minutes. Now I want to end this with a prayer, one of my favorites. 
And uh, if you're willing and open this morning to a softer heart with God, bow your heads and open your hands as I pray Ted Loader's words over us. Holy one, there's something I wanted to tell you, but there have been errands to run, bills to pay, arrangements to make, meetings to attend, friends to entertain, washing to do, and I forgot what it is I wanted to say to you, and mostly I forgot what I'm about or why. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Eternal one, there is something I wanted to tell you, but my mind races with worrying and watching, with weighing and planning, with rutted slights and pothole grievances, with leaky dreams and leaky plumbing and leaky relationships, I keep trying to plug up. And my attention is preoccupied with loneliness, with doubt, and with things I covet. And I forgot what it is I wanted to say to you or how to say it honestly or, mu- or how to do much of anything. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Almighty one, there's something I wanted to ask you, but I stumble along the edge of a nameless rage, haunted by a hundred floating fears of terrorists of all kinds, of losing my job, of failing, of getting sick and old, of having loved ones die, of dying, of having no one love me, not even myself, and of not being sure who I am or that I am worth very much. And I forgot what the real question is that I wanted to ask. And I forgot to listen anyway, because you seem unreal and far away. And I forgot what it is I have forgotten. Oh God, don't forget me, please, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Oh Father and Mother in heaven, perhaps you've already heard what I wanted to tell you. What I wanted to ask is forgive me, heal me, increase my courage, please. Renew in me a little of love and faith and a sense of confidence and a vision of what it might mean to live as though you were real and I mattered and everyone in this room was sister and brother. What I wanted to ask you in my blundering way is don't give up on me. Don't become too sad about me, but laugh with me and try again with me and I will with you too. What I wanted to ask for peace enough to want and work for more for joy enough to share, and for awareness that is keen enough to sense your presence here, now, there, then, always. Amen. Amen.